Can you believe this? Me? On a professional bowling tour? Said Roy. His father said, It's your calling, son. One day, when people say the name Munson, they're going to think winner. Just like Joe DiMaggio is to baseball, or or Utanis is to football. That's what Munson will be to bowling. Recognize this quote's movie? Stay tuned to find out or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. And I'm Chris. Today, we're departing from our regularly scheduled programming to deliver you a rapid-fire format borrowed from our Talking TV Trivia subseries. We'll start with four essential trivia questions. The first question is worth one point, and each question after that is worth one more point. Then we'll follow it up with a theme discussion, this week being fish out of water. I think this is a perfect example of it. I'm sure we'll come up with some others. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Walking up to theaters in 1996, we would have had to choose between Mission Impossible, Dragonheart, Independence Day, John Travolta's Phenomenon, a very Brady sequel, and today's movie, Kingpin. Nick will be our questioner today, serving up some handcrafted questions. Nick, what is Kingpin? all about sadly kingpin is about the fall from grace of what could have been the illustrious career of one and only roy munson but he ends up getting munsoned out of the middle of nowhere for the rest of his life until he finds an amish fellow who works twice as hard as regular people and seems to have a gifted talent for bowling they decide to go on a quest together to Reno, of all places, to win $1 million, half which would go to Roy because he wants it, and half which would be used to save the farm of the Amish uh, community that Randy Quaid's character is part of. They meet some people along the way, predominantly Miss Claudia, and we'll explore more of that through the questions. It's time for question one. Who fixed the Munson heirloom and how was it done? Say that again. Oh, locked in. Who fixed the Munson heirloom and how was it done? Locked in. Chris. Uh, so the Munson heirloom I think you're talking about is the is the pocket watch. And Claudia actually fixes it by simply winding it. So this this broken <laughs> clock has not been broken at all. It's just neither the father nor Roy decided to wind it. Tom. I had the same thing. Yeah, Claudia winds the watch. When you first asked the question, I thought you said, who fixed the loom? Like, the loom? <laughs> I, was, I was a little confused myself. In, in the was Amish there, community? Yeah. Was it Miss Rebecca? Did Miss Rebecca fix the loom in the Amish village? It's time for question two. What does the Bible say about not forgiving people? Locked in. Locked in. Chris. It says you shouldn't. Tom. Yeah, it says you shouldn't. <laughs> no, you both got it wrong. No, it's what is against it? it. 
It's oh, no. <laughs> I, I honestly wasn't going for exact uh, exact syntax, but fair they enough. They repeat it. So yeah, it's, they it's do nice say it. They do say yeah, it, it twice. A, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. a joke. They, they yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're not going to have a flawless game, but we are still tied. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Chris is out of character today. He's not going to have a Yeah, I know. Victory. I know. He usually has to go with the flawless victory. Ah, yeah. This isn't a Star Wars thing. I don't know what I'm talking about. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. We got to, you know, turn up the stakes here now. You know, we're getting into the higher point questions. I don't even know how bowling works. So <laughs> you have to win this. <laughs> I think you don't need to know what bowling is to win this episode. I'll just tell yeah. you that much. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. It's time for question three. In what room is Big Earn staying? There's a specific number. Locked in. He repeats it on a few occasions to some lovely ladies. I'm gonna lock in, but I don't I don't remember, honestly. I'm gonna I'm going to go with the the joke that this movie would make, and I'm hoping did make, which is 69. Good guess. Chris. Uh, I, I'm making a guess here. I know it's a four, a four-digit number. He says it when they're outside the potato bar. I think it was like eleven oh four, eleven thirty-five. I'm gonna go eleven thirty-four. Oh, so close! Is I'm in eleven oh three. man! <laughs> he does repeat it like at least twice. At least twice he repeats it. I loved it. It was just so funny. And it, I think someone was like. Um, asking for his autograph. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in 1103. <laughs> and then Claudia, as he's running away frantically in 1103. <laughs> Again, you had to go pretty deep, deep on this. Uh, well, I don't know. Tom and I are tied one to one after three questions. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this, is a, yeah. this is a real, this is a real, we're just not a barn razor. It's a barn burner. We got going yeah. Well, I think it's like the the scene when the barn just falls over. That's well, the the lunch bell, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I'm I'm starving. That's what's happening. It's time for question four. There's one final hurdle for Roy Munson to compete in the Reno tournament. How much are bowling dues times sixteen years plus penalties plus interest? Locked in. Locked in. Oh, Tom, I want you to have it too. I want you guys to tie. Oh, I think I think I'm on. I think it's $34. Chris? Well, there's going to be a winner because I'm going to say 38 Oh, there is going to be a winner. It is $38. Still yeah. way too much. Still way too much for Roy. Uh, uh. Another corny joke. He puts his rubber hand out with the ring on it, and she says, what are we going to do with the rubber hand? Yeah. No, the ring. Lovely, lovely. Repeated in the end when he's like, he did this. Oh, that's a nice ring. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, yeah. They, they go back to that joke numerous oh, times. And every man, time he wants them to look at one thing and they're looking they're at the other. The other. It's... Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Give us another one, Nick. Let's go. So Let's I, got, I, got a bon- I got a bonus question. Yeah, we'll here. do. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll lock Chris in. We'll lock Chris in here. Uh, but this is one that I, I thought was interesting. How many professional athletes had cameos in Kingpin, and who were they? Oh, Lord. I'm going to lock in. Okay. I really no. I can't even name one. Who's... You guys can just shout it out. We don't have to lock in. Like we I think just... there's – I think there's – I saw two. So Parker Bond III is a professional bowler who I noticed. Yeah. And then Roger Clemens is in uh, the, the, the – one skid of the mark. Scenes. Yeah, he's, he's skid mark. When he's trying oh. to dance with his friend. Oh, that's who that was. 
Oh, that is Roger Clemens. Oh, geez. I, I don't I don't have I, I don't know who the first person is. Were there any more Clemens? You don't mow another guy's lawn. OK, yeah. <laughs> that also seems like something Roger Clemens would have done in his life. <laughs> Unfilmed or filmed. <laughs> so the only one who is a non bowler was Roger Clemens. There mm-hmm. actually were, and and again, if if you weren't, was Chris into... was Chris Weber in this? Chris Weber? No, oh. no. The old, well, at least not that I'm aware of. So the oh, other one, there were three professional bowlers. Okay, mm-hmm. Parker Bowen the third, which is actually a New Jersey guy. Randy Peterson, I think he's from Carolinas, and Mark Roth actually was a really big bowler back in the day. He was in. So these were three guys that he had to beat in order to face uh, Big Earn. In the presence of fine athletes. <laughs> <laughs> that is his church after all, you know. So that those were some other ones. But yeah, I, I actually used to know the Roger Clemens, forgot it. And then like I was looking, I'm like, oh yeah, I, he was in that film. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't recognize him. I yeah. thought it was a person. But I, I had meant to look it up. But it I, I it wasn't know. a goat. That's just true. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I was watch. I was watching this on TV. Beth came home from work and she sat down on the couch and was just like she was on her phone, not doing. She wasn't trying to pay attention. And all of a sudden, from the right of me here, is that Roger Clemens? <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yes. I think they've they've had Boston athletes in all their movies, right? They didn't. They have a a Bruins player in Dumb and Dumber. Wasn't that one of the, I don't know, maybe I'm making that up. Maybe. No, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I don't know that off the top of my head. But they I, had I, Brett Favre very famously in something about Mary. Who's not a Boston area player, but still, he's an athlete. Professional nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'd like to congratulate Chris still for taking it yes. down, even if he wasn't flawless. Yeah, thank I you, know. thank you. I just cheated. Cam Neely was in uh, Dumb and Dumber. Oh, nice, nice, mm. nice. We're going to take a quick break before we dive into our topic of the week discussing fish out of water, because we clearly see who the fish out of water was in this film, and I'm sure we can uh, discuss where we've seen these same uh, tropes elsewhere. We'll be right back. Join another Talking Studios production, Limited Lexicon, where we play through text-based adventure games. Text-based adventure games were computer games from before computers had graphics. The game uses text to describe a scene, and the player types back how they want to interact with the game. I'll read the text from the computer, and my co-host will feed me commands. This season, we're playing through The Hobbit from 1982 on the ZX Spectrum. Here's a quick sample. I thought uh, a lot about our first command, and I think it should be no print because we don't want to print things as we're going along. I think by default, it's not going to print. And even <laughs> if I did print, I, where is it going to print to? 1982? I, I would imagine if we go west, we're going to be south of the troll, right? Just south of the troll land. Yeah, let's try it. You go west. The troll's clearing. The visible... Oh, we died. <laughs> 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 all right the troll the troll saw us and killed us so i think we have to say the answer to the riddle then the answer is dark say dark i think talk to what Golem. Gollum. say Gollum. dark you talk to Gollum. thorin says hurry up and we died and we died 
So we went northeast last time. So let's go southwest. You go southwest. Visible exits are north, northwest. You see the valuable golden ring. Oh. Wow. Wow. Here. That's wait, wait. perfect. Oh, That's wow. perfect. Limited lexicon. Coming to your podcatcher and YouTube in late 2022 by Talking Studios. And we're back. The questions may not have went into it in great depth, but Ishmael, played by Randy Quaid, definitely embodied the fish out of water. So what do we think about how he was portrayed in this film? And I also thought it'd be interesting to talk about this type of concept in other film, media, etc. Well, it's a, it's actually an interesting concept to lead in terms of the genre that this movie's working in. This is a low comedy that intersects with the the burlesque. I mean, I think of the burlesque and the low comedy as a similar thing. Hey, hey, so, hey, hey low, watch what you're calling low comedy there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but low, you know, low comedy is um, typically a type of 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 comedy obviously that is um really sort of raunchy and draws upon a lot of kind of more sexualized humor uh, very often or it uses like a lot of slapstick or kind of broad tropes like that um and it, it's tended to serve the sort of uh, common person um john dryden originated the term in his introduction to a play back in the, the 1660s and we see with American low comedy, I think, like the Three Stooges, for example, or the Marx Brothers. And the Three Stooges are marked by being fish out of water, right? They're always in a situation in which they're not equipped to deal with the task that's been given to them. And as a consequence, there's these uh, these hijinks, these shenanigans, the sort of, um, you know, fingers in the eye and bonking people on the head with hammers, that type of thing results and that sort of that that low comedy humor that slapstick humor which is also in punch and judy if you know the punch and judy shows from from england in the 18th century um rely on that as well and so this movie is kind of drawing on that you know fish out of water thing in order to give us some slapstick and a decent amount too. I mean, there's a, a scene where Woody Harrelson speed bags uh, uh, the female lead's breasts at one point, um, which then become you never thought you'd say fake. that phrase, huh? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, become obviously fake in that scene, um, but the the whole structure of the plot is based upon this fish out of water, and a lot of the humor or the, the attempted humor is seeing what an Amish person would do in a strip club or what a Amish person would do when he starts smoking or drinking beer or getting tattoos, you know, things like that. Uh, and it, his kind of um, exploration, Ishmael's exploration into let's say the strip club where he starts doing a drag show and what have you allows the sort of sexualized and burlesque elements to intersect and merge with the kind of slapstick low comedy elements. So low comedy seems perfect for people who may have been in high school and then continue to watch it through college. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. low comedy is for the, the non-sophisticate, right? That's the whole point. It's you're playing to the plebes. You're playing to the, the penny payers. 
Well, I, I, I definitely was a plebe in, uh, in high school, I guess. <laughs> I don't We're know. all plebes, my friend. <laughs> We're all plebes when we watch. You know, that's the nice thing about these movies. You can become plebes for a few hours. So. <laughs> I really do enjoy this film, even now. It was a lot I, it's, of fun. I, I have no idea why. I, it doesn't deserve to have the reverence in my mind that I'm it actually same. does, but it's great. I'm the same. I'm the same. I did. I, there were a couple cringe moments, though. A couple but of. They always couple were. They always a couple were. of a couple of 1996 tropes that would not be good today. <laughs> it For does sure. seem like it's thumbing its nose at any type of respectability. They were not looking to make a respectable movie whatsoever. They yeah. they wanted to be anything you could possibly think of that you could assign a piety to or be like we should be you know more respectful of group x y or z this movie was like <laughs> it, it rubbed its nose right in that right in that kind of sensibility which is probably the best thing i could say about it i i like this movie for what it is it's a little bit of a nostalgia trip for me uh because i watched it so often when i was in high school and college and it was kind of one of those for lack of a better, it sounds kind of cheesy, but like one of those bonding movies with a group of friends who had a shared interest. Definitely. Uh, and even though, even though it's it is really stupid and lowbrow, and honestly, the most the thing that makes me laugh the most is when Vanessa joins the group for the first time and does the hill jump with the car, and they look into the back seat, and Randy Quaid has got this look of terror on his <laughs> face, like he's like. He's like nobody can see because it's a podcast, but you can you can see this like look of terror in his in his face because he just you know basically saw his life flash for his eyes. It made me laugh for like a good thirty seconds just watching him act like a statue of this scared man. I I, I can't express why it gives me such joy, but it definitely does. And it's out of the fish. I I actually made a list of some of the fish out of water movies that I thought of, and out of them, I want to say this is probably of the ones that I wrote here, probably like number two or number three in my hierarchy because I had on my list uh, Back to the Future is a fish out of water story. Sure. I think that's that's probably number one for me because I mean it's just a good movie on top of the you get a little bit of humor out of an eighties kid in the fifties. Thor, to a certain extent, is a fish out of water story because he's a god that goes to real Earth and has a, has problems doing that. Uh, I, and I think one of my favorites is Beverly Hills Cop. You take a Detroit police officer and put him in Beverly Hills where he doesn't belong, and it's that's another '80s '90s comedy series that really uh, has a special place in my in my heart, even if it doesn't doesn't hold up as well as it should. I'm glad to see you had a mix. It wasn't just comedy, though, right? Like there, this fish out of water concept can occur in other categories if you will like yeah it doesn't yeah i do think it lends it it lends itself more to comedy but it could definitely be on different different types yeah coming of age movies are often fish out of water movies right like young people having to like grow up uh in a certain circumstance often work in that way as well um i'm gonna throw one out there that may not be considered a traditional fish out of water but do you think Roto and the hobbits are fish out of water they live in their own little world and they're going out into this bigger world i'm stretching here i know i, w- I would say mary and pippin are more fish out of water than that than... could that could be true you, you yeah, the, yeah. The, the whole the whole prancing pony scene with the four of them mary and pippin are definitely the fish out of water there it comes it, in pints comes in, I'm, I'm getting one maybe i mean i think there's some things that are similar and some things that are different i would say what's similar about let's call it ishmael's trip and and the hobbit's trip is that they they go away and come back changed, right? That there's that type of thing. 
I mean, the problem, one of the problems I have with this movie is Ishmael doesn't really seem to change. I mean, he has experiences, but he doesn't seem to. He taught them all to dance at the end there. You I, know? Yeah, I guess so. Sure. But he <laughs> it's not like he's a new person or he sees the world in a but different way. But he got way. respect. He got, I think they're going to treat him differently as well. Yeah, but that almost seems as a consequence of Woody Harrelson's character's generosity. Not because Maybe they'll let him grow a beard finally. Man. Maybe they'll like let the him grow fear. Yes, that'll, <laughs> we have to see Ishmael's growth in the, the sequel. Um, but anyway, so I think there's, there's similarities with Ishmael there. I, I think where I, I hesitate with, with Frodo being a fish out of water so much is that often fish out of water stories are this person is in this new land and sort of has to acclimate to this new land. Well, with Frodo, it's a sort of, uh, it's a there and back again story. So it's sort of the, the archetypal hero has to go out and come back transformed from that experience. Though, actually, as I say this, that's kind of how fish out of water things happen. That's right? kind of where yeah. I was going. It, it came across my mind I, I don't even know why. I think it's because we recently did a bunch of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, episodes. of course. Yes, yeah. So it was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> but it's an interesting it's big world. They're out of their little community where they mm -hmm. have a certain lifestyle. And there's this big world out there that operates by, by different rules. Mm -hmm. And they have to find a way to acclimate. Yeah, I, I would, you know, in both cases, the fish out of what the fish has to return to the water, right? That's the case of the Shire. And the tragedy of the Shire is that you you can't return to the water. In this case, you know, the, whatever, Ishmael comes home and he's fine. Um, I, I don't know, would you guys think Luke Skywalker is a fish out of water throughout that trilogy? I, I, I was just going to mention that one because we're talking about our favorite fantasy movies. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's more of the hero's journey, I think. I, I think that's, yeah, I would that's say more, that too. That's more of like a character growth. Mm -hmm. Like he he is obviously not accustomed to flying in an X-Wing and, and being part of the rebellion. So you can call him a fish out of water there. But I think that's just the, that's the journey that everybody takes as they go from being a kid to being an adult that's contributing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, I think it's more of like the hero's journey and just like straight growth than it would be fish out of water. Yeah, because Luke really doesn't go back home. He's a Jedi from here on out. Um, I, I mean, I would say that of, of the Hobbits, too. I mean, they literally go home, but Frodo can't stay there. I mean, the, the Shire is done for him. Um, I, I would think the fish out of water idea, especially if we're talking about within this comic frame, is a little gentler than the hero's journey. The hero's journey really is transformative. The idea I of... I see that. Yeah, the, the idea of comedy more than romance or, or tragedy i think is, is far more conservative at the end things are back to how they should be which is usually how they were in the beginning while with you know the lord of the rings it's um a new age is going to begin and uh, god we hope that the age of uh, that men are equal to the age of men that they're equal to the task at hand with you know with a uh, kingpin it's like uh, roy has a has employment He's with Claudia. The world is okay. The farm is saved. You know, everything is sort of back to the way it should be, which is how it was at the beginning of the film. More than I realized, because he gives the whole sum of money to the Amish community. So he really is back to square one now that you mention that. Well, he does. He does say in that scene that he's got other things coming, that that was just yeah, the first yeah. of many paydays he was getting from uh, the Trojan condom company.
Well, first, you just had to do some commercials, you know, trade shows, going to some pharmacies, give a little talk at Vassar College orientation. You know, that's that's worth <laughs> half a million bucks. That, that made me laugh. The Vassar College orientation did make me laugh out loud. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the thing with Roy is he's back to the beginning in the sense that he is no longer he, he's become ethical again. Right. His father, when he leaves the farm or whatever the hell, Iowa, when he leaves Iowa, I don't know if they're on a farm tells him that if you follow bowling, you'll be a good man, the rules of bowling, you'll be a good man in life. And at the end of the movie, Roy is now a good man again, as he was as a child at the beginning. See, it's deeper than we all thought. This is deep. It's so deep. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I- I'm kind of interested in the bowlers here, because I will come forward and say, this movie was rough for me. I found um, uh, it- it's what you might call machine gun humor where every scene has more and more jokes in the hope that one of them will land like a machine gun firing in hopes that one bullet will hit the target, that type of thing. And some of them were accurate. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, you know, I was, I I found the movie also kind of devoid of charm. Uh, um, I found no relationship there between Ishmael and Woody and, and Roy and the female lead is, oh god she's god awful <laughs> she's not good she's not she's, great her acting yeah. is not not great it's in this film. Really, I, I saw it more this watch yeah timing delivery uh, and it's also her character it's, it's really confused i have no idea why she's going to end up with roy or what what the hell about roy is so appealing to her at the end they i mean woody harrelson is a decent looking man but they do everything they can to make him look un, unattractive but regardless this movie seems to have touched a, a uh, the funny bone of bowlers I know everywhere, which include the two of you. <laughs> and I, I just want to know, like, as bowlers, what is exciting about this movie? What what is what makes you so giddy to, to talk about this again? I think the fact that there's bowling balls in it is really all that it takes. Like there, I mean, it's not like it's not like a baseball movie or a football movie. And it's there aren't like twelve of them or fourteen of them that you could go out and see. Like, oh, I'm going to choose the funny football movie and watch the replacements, or I'm going to watch the dramatic football movie and pick Rudy. Like there was no, there there was no uh, plethora to have. There there was no selection to have. It was this. Or the Big Lebowski. So if you were a bowler and that's what you did in your high school and college years, there were two movies and those are the two that you watched and you liked them or you didn't like them. And if you were a bowler, you liked them. The bowling in the movie is atrocious. It's horrible. I was just going to say the form is horrible. I mean, like, There's so they, many Brooklyn cross strikes. Like it's just it's not good bowling form or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> there, there were a couple of strikes where the seven pin just wasn't even racked. Like they're both throwing like like Bill Murray's famous flower is 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 plastic. There's no way that plastic ball is doing any amount of hooking or carrying. No hook. That's going go straight. <laughs> and the, the urethane uh, gold glitter rhino. I mean, it's like it's an iconic ball, but that's not that's not a good bowling ball either, especially in the 90s. So, I mean, everything about the bowling portion of this movie is absolutely atrocious. But I mean, it's it's a it's a movie. It's a comedy set in a bowling alley. I mean, I guess that's really all that you need if you're a bowler. Yeah, it's just the perfect, I guess, scenery and dressing for this comedy to play out on. I just I think that's also what makes it a little bit more outrageous, too, is just it is very slapstick. And on top of it, you put this bowling theme in there. You know, and again, think about what it is. 
he loses his hand in a ball return. Okay. That's where this movie starts. Okay. <laughs> like it goes from there. You know what I mean? It's just like outrageous. <laughs> I mean, that had that had to be the whole premise of this movie, right? I mean, the two brothers probably went to a bowling alley, saw on the ball return, do not stick your hand in here, and they just generated a movie from it. And, and then they took they took all these little jokes that they had in jokes with friends or family at all over the course of their years and kind of shoehorned them into different things. Like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if, oh, well, let's squeeze it in our Kingpin movie. Let's squeeze it. I, I really do think it's like, how can we make a movie about a dude who loses his hand in the ball return? Like, and that's probably the only reason it's attached to bowling is just because that was the main, <laughs> that was the main hook. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't... But they do that. You're right. There's a lot of jokes that have nothing to do with bowling in here. Like they, they have nothing. There was the one and I'm trying to find my notes on it because it was really funny, but they were talking about cigarettes and who would do more research than Philip Morris? Because you can't smoke <laughs> when you're dead. <laughs> so, yeah. like, there was just funny things in there that had nothing to do with the rest of the film. One of my favorite ones is uh, Woody Harrelson is trying to get Ishmael to go with him to leave Claudia at the hotel. That's be- that's before the really bad fight scene, and and he's like, "There's there's a there's a storm coming." <laughs> And I I can smell it. Everybody, get out! <laughs> so it's so cheesy. It's so terrible. It's so bad. But for whatever reason, it's just it it makes me smile to talk about it. Mm. All right. There's a ton of those type lines in the in, in and, and Tom. I have to agree with you. If I was in your position, seeing this movie now for the first time, first I probably time. W- I probably would have hated it because I, I I find that these types of movies that come out now like these kind of slapsticky made for made for high school kids made for college kids movies that i see that are being made now i don't i don't connect with and i don't find them as funny and i'm like oh this i i don't i can see why people would like this but it's not for me so like if i was seeing this movie for the first time at my age now i probably would dislike it as well i really think the only reason i like it as much as i do is because of the nostalgic purpose that it has it's hard for me to watch this fresh like as if i never saw it before because that's so far from the truth does the bowling culture kind of jokes make sense to you guys? like in, in terms of do they ring true for bowling culture even if the bowling itself is as a guy that worked in a bowling alley for uh, for quite a few years it, it kind of does unfortunately <laughs> uh and I, but i and i but there are individuals that take it very seriously and they are very athletic individuals so that's but the jokes that they kind of poke at bowlers themselves are are a little on the true side to a certain extent fundamentals were horrible in the film though if that's what you're yeah, yeah. Well, you, you yeah, mentioned yeah. that, that nobody seems to actually know how to bowl, which I was speculating on. I'm wondering, did Woody Harrelson do research in order to learn how to bowl? But I, I guess what you're, you're telling me. I don't me, think either of them did. Probably really. not. And They're lucky they just got the ball off their hands. Yeah. They didn't fall over. Uh, and honestly, like, I, I don't really need Bill Murray to do research on bowling. He's uh, His wig did more more of the work than than that would have done his um, uh, his outfits in that in the the final three scenes where he's like he's got the back brace on and he's got the crazy <laughs> shoes and he's got the, the 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 flame shirt and he's holding that ball it's like it's such a a weird so fun image to see him standing up there in that regalia and 
celebrating his Brooklyn strike with such audacity. <laughs> and Tom had it on the money where the lighting even shows like really accentuates how his like comb overs like flipped up and just flailing mm. in the wind. Like the lighting comes Oh, it's, 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 it's fantastic. He's just like literally unraveling before our eyes. I bet we could get a little deeper if we wanted to about how they both had comb overs, but one of them was thicker and fuller and more exaggerated when it came off. But the Woody Harrelson one was thinner because he was a weaker, a weaker character. And he was, <laughs> going, he was going to flourish into something bigger, like the big Ernwood. I, I, we don't need, to get that deep into it but that's uh <laughs> I, i'm sure we could if we if we tried yeah what i will say i do like how big urn took it down because usually in movies like this roy would be the winner so i will give them credit on kind of having that of course they wrapped it up in a nice little bow with his sponsorship uh with trojan condoms there at the end but he didn't just come back and and take it you know, that doesn't always happen in these type of films. Yeah. I do like Bill Murray's reflection on he is now above the law after he won. Well, he's got a million dollars. I mean, I, he can do anything. I, I'm now, right now above the law. That's his <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Chris, you had mentioned this, I that you would not like the sort of slapsticky movie if, if you were seeing it now or what the kids are watching now. Our I feel like this, the, the 1990s and the Farley brothers were really a kind of maybe last uh, last whimper for the slapstick. Maybe Jackass, which comes after them, also is working in slapstick. You know, it's it's reality, but it's still that kind of idea, right? right that kind of humor, even if it isn't quite as ribald as, as this. Um, but I'm wondering, do you see like contemporary Farley brother types? No, no, I, th I think it's definitely changed. Like this type of comedy is now in short little bursts on TikToks and YouTube clips and things like that. It, but I mean, if this movie did exist today and this was the type of humor that was there, I probably wouldn't find it funny. Or I wouldn't sit mm -hmm. through it if I could. But yeah, they, they don't really make movies like this anymore. And that sounds like a really old man thing to say. But I guess that's kind of true. They, they, they don't. They don't, yeah. they don't really they don't really make movies the way they do anymore. Like it's all. It's all very different now. Like this movie went to theaters, as you as you as you said. Like this movie would never see a theater ever. This would have been a streamer. This yeah, this is a straight to a, a B list streaming service at best. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was just it was a different different era, different economic model, different you know different lifestyle. Like we didn't have anything to do on Friday nights when we were in high school. So going to the movies or doing something like this was what we did. At least in at least where I went. Well, at least where I lived. That's true. That's very true. Well, you've heard it here first, folks. There's only two bowling movies out there. So um, maybe we'll get some more. So we have something to compare to, you know? The, the Big Lebowski is the other one, if people are wondering. Yes. If you haven't yes. figured that out, you... We'll get to that one eventually on the you show, I'm beautiful sure. beautiful idiots, then it's the Big Lebowski. <laughs> I mean, wasn't there was a bowler in Mystery Men, right? Do you guys remember that movie? No. Nope. Like <laughs> a superhero mystery, like a superhero movie called Mystery. It had like uh, had Pee Wee Herman in it. Had uh, Janine Garofalo was in it. It was oh, like it was like a, like a mashup. Oh, I thing. think I know what yeah. you're talking. I'm pretty about. sure but one of them was bowler centric, right? No, no, one of them was a bowler, and their superpower was they threw the ball at somebody, and it would like hit them in the chest and knock them out or something. That's they were like knockoff superheroes, right? Like, oh yeah, were, oh yeah. yeah. 
it, that, I do not recommend that movie whatsoever. I haven't. I don't think I've even seen it from beginning to end, even once. Hmm. I think we have a better chance of seeing the Big Lebowski on this show than that one yeah. <laughs> in the future. I, it, it's. I'm. I'm trying to think of like Judd Apatow movies, right? That seems to be the really big comedy producer very different, director. Though. Very different. It's. And I think one of the things that makes it different is they're much, much more sentimental. Right. First of all, there's a lot of improv, and I think Bill Murray improved a lot, but you don't get that kind of feeling from from the rest of the picture. Um, and it also, this movie's hard, right? And something about Mary is also hard, right? The jokes are hard. They treat the characters rough. These characters get beat up. They're not. They also don't have that shotgun joke approach either. They're yeah. They're, they're more. I'm going to say more thoughtful with their deliveries I, I and hoping that they land versus. Yeah. I, th- I think the, the Apatow comedies are also a little bit more character centric, mm-hmm. where you're you're presented with a single character, whether it's a Steve Carell character, whether it is a Will Ferrell character. You're, you're presented with one character, and you are you are tied to that character, male mm-hmm. or female, and you're going from beginning to middle to end to see how they grow and all the slapsticky stuff that happens to them is the humor, but at the same time, it's it's their growth, it's their potential. And I don't, I don't, I know you can kind of maybe say Ishmael is that character, but I don't think it is. I think this is just let's put three or four characters on the screen, let them chew at each other for a while and make some laughs, and then we'll we'll wipe our hands and like you said, Wrap not really not really change anything at the end. Like the characters are kind of the same, and mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson has a better shirt on but i mean he's still kind of the same person and so is so is ishmael and i would say roy has changed uh, woody harrelson's character i think he's now uh, capable of ethical behavior right has he changed or has he just returned or he's returned you know i feel i feel like he could have been that character minus the missing hand wait a minute did this just become the hero's journey (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's it's always kind of a hero's journey, right? Like that's that's I think John Gardner said that every every story is a person leaves town or somebody comes into town. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's just the the comedies today are they're softer, right? They're a little more sentimental. It's like Parks and Rec compared to Family Guy. If you look on television, like Parks and Rec is much sweeter, as is The Office, than Family Guy or or even The Simpsons, um, and that seems to be what's happening. We're we're like a it's it's a kinder type of comedy that seems to be headlining in the theaters now. Well, I'll tell you this: Chris wasn't kind when he smashed Tom this week for a flip. Well, oh. wait, wait, not flawless victory, but victory nonetheless. So congratulations, Chris. So it, it wasn't a pocket strike. It was a Brooklyn strike, but it was a strike nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to set all 10 pins next time. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I'm ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ashamed of my performance, but cra- proud that Chris is on the show. Congratulations, Chris. Oh, thank you. Thank all you. right. You can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Do you think you could make the 710 split? Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. You can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15. And if you want to get a hold of me, feel free to reach out to the fellas on their Twitter at Talking Studios. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time when we discuss Smiles of a Summer Night from 1955. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding.
Next week, we'll be discussing Smiles of a Summer Night from 1955. Tom, how was your watch? I haven't seen this movie in, I think, 12 years. And I like Bergman. And I was recently watching, I watched this on the uh, Criterion channel, their subscription streaming service. And I had the last movie I watched on there was was last weekend was Bergman's The Magic Flute, which is also a, a, a delight. It's probably the best film of an opera that's that's ever been made his version of of the magic flute and then turning back 20 years to this it's been so long since i've seen it and i've forgotten how wonderful it is it is a, a supremely enjoyable movie i think it's a top five film for me um yeah i, I absolutely loved it i watched it on on the computer i think i watched it two or three times over the last few days and uh there's there's a line in it I want to share because I this this has become my motto I think and it's the old woman the the mother of Desiree who says this and she says I'm tired of people but that doesn't stop me from loving them and I think that that basically has sums up the attitude I've had towards you know the, towards people and and towards uh, my my romantic relationships over the last five or so years in a single throw pillow so i had an absolute wonderful time revisiting this movie i can't recommend it highly enough um it's hilarious it's actually quite painful at times in its pathos um and it moves like a train it just goes and god i I'm just sort of gushing now, sort of incoherently, but that's fine because this movie is joyous. Ragnar, how was your first watch? Well, I agree. I mean, this movie deserves to be gushed over. Uh, I feel like I've seen this movie like five times at this point, five or six times, at least once a year. And what I'm surprised about each time is how timeless this movie is. It doesn't feel like an old movie you know, in terms of slow paced or people might get bored. In fact, that I encourage anybody who maybe has, uh, is hesitant to get into foreign film or to get into old foreign film uh, to start with uh, Smiles of a Summer Night because the pace is blistering fast and the dialogue is as funny and sharp and witty as anything before and after that movie. So I, I think it's one of Bergman's top films, one of the funniest films ever made. Um, and I, I, I literally can't wait to watch it again. KJ, how was yours? So for me, this was a recommendation for friend of the show, original fan Kegar. I think we've mentioned him on the show before. Um, he was pretty excited. He had gotten a Blu-ray box set, I think, of all the Ingmar Bergen movies. Um I'm not sure how far into the box he's gotten, but um, he did see Smiles of a Summer Night, which he recommended. So I snagged it from the library and I loved it. Um, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but it's a, it's a lovely comedy of wit, double crossing, good old fashioned light backstabbing, right? Like it's, it's really fun. Um, audience, if you haven't seen any of Ingmar Bergman's uh, movies, I'd recommend Persona, but, but Summers of a Smile Night is also really, really great. Uh, Smiles of a Summer Night, as Tom mentioned, is available on the Criterion Channel streaming service at the time of this recording.